Baruch Atah Adonai, Loheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kichanu B'mitotav Etibanu, La'asok Be'divrei Torah. Ve'harevna Adonai, Loheinu, Et Divrei Torah Teka Be'finu Ufi, Amkavet Yisrael. Ve'niye Anaknu, Ve'zetzeinu, Ve'zetzei, Amkavet Yisrael. Kulanu Yodea Shemeka, Ve'lomde Torah Teka Lishma. Baruch Atah Adonai, Hamlame Torah Le'amo Yisrael. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. May it be soon that we see the resurrection of the dead, the revealing of Mashiach ben David, and the building of the Beit HaMikdash. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, may you give us strength, may you give us a firm amuna, and the heart to be an eyewitness of these things. Open our hearts and our minds to your glory and your majesty and the splendorous power of your might. For these things to occur. Give us confidence in you, shalom and security in you, to look forward to and anticipate the hearing of the shofar, the revealing of the return of Mashiach Yeshua on the clouds of glory. May you make us worthy of this, Adonai, we ask, in the merit of Mashiach Yeshua. I just want to share just a few things because, you know, everyone is having their different takeaways from our current events. And it's a very, very amazing thing because Yeshua is always ready to come for the final redemption. This is why when, when we learn about the passage of Tractate Sanhedrin, where the Messiah is sitting at the gates of Rome and he's wrapping his bandage one at a time, not undoing all of his bandages, but literally one at a time, so that at any moment that Hakadosh Baruchu should give him the say to return, then he's ready at a moment's notice. Which is very interesting because studying the Akedah Ram from Genesis chapter 22, it's the same thing. The Ram was waiting in Gan Eden for that moment when Abraham and Yitzhak would arrive at Mount Moriah for that actual offering. This is why Abraham told Yitzhak, Hashem will provide for himself the lamb, my son. Because Hashem only desired that Abraham would be willing to offer his son. He didn't actually ask him to offer his son. So when you really think about that, this is the opportunity that we have with our life, especially in this generation. For, for years, we've been told we're the generation of the, the heels of Mashiach. So if if we're thinking Mashiach can return in our days, then, you know, it's not like we need to get all crazy and just kind of go, well, okay, if he doesn't return, then I won't believe. Or if he does return, then, oh my goodness, what in the world? But to, to be feet to the ground, to be level-headed, to be desirous and yearning in your heart, for what we have yet to experience. 
while continuing to engage on a daily life uh, journey that Hashem gives us. And to be like Avraham and Yitzhak, that we know Hashem is going to provide Mashiach Yeshua's return at some point. But it's all in the timing of everything. It just so happened that HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked Abraham to bring his son to Mount Moriah so that by the time HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells the ram, okay, go to the mountain, there would be this convergence and this meeting at this one point. And this is where we're at. You know, with the pandemic that's going on globally, first of all, this is not a surprise. This is not a shock. There are many theories and things that are uh, being brought to the surface now that, oh, this has been known and this was predicted and people knew these things would happen and now they're happening. And it's like, okay, for whatever that may be worth, we'll leave it there. But the thing that I want to get at is that Hakadosh Baruch Hu knows the end at its inception. So from the moment Hashem set forth creation with Bereshit, the first word of the Torah, he already knew at this point in time that this pandemic would hit the globe, that this amount of awakening would happen. And at Sar Shalom and Lapid, we've been praying for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to awaken the sleepers. Well, guess what? Many people are saying that they're now waking up, that they're now realizing we need to repent. You know, and it's funny because did not Mashiach Yeshua say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? That was his thing. Everything that Mashiach Yeshua did while he was here and what he by default will do when he returns, among many other things, is he brought redemption. He is redemption. Literally, Yeshua, salvation, Mashiach, the anointed salvation. Healing the sick, raising the dead, you know, giving sight to the blind, those who are deaf, causing them to hear, those who are mute, causing them to speak, those who are lame, causing them to walk. I mean, you name it. He, he embodied these things. He was literally a walking Mount Sinai experience. To quote my fellow Avenger, Ishpela. So thinking about all these things, we, we always pray as well for the, the redemption to come in a sweet and a very gentle and merciful way that it doesn't do what we read about in the book of Revelation. That it doesn't have to come down to all these different plagues and massive amounts of destruction and uh, large scale suffering. But that the judgment is sweetened. And how beautiful would it be for the redemption to come on the tail end of what all mankind is currently experiencing together so much that it's causing us all to begin to unify. Powerful, very, very powerful. And here it is, Parsha Vayakel and Pekude, where there's this assembling into a unified 
heart and also the individual accounting that we know individually we matter, but corporately those individuals become one as if they are one body. And the whole idea of the Jewish nation is to literally manifest the Shekinah of Hashem upon the face of the earth. So I just speak these words of encouragement to say, instead of saying yay or nay to the to the um, the uproars and the upheavals and the fear and the fear mongering and the paranoia and things like that. Instead of saying yay or nay to that, we should press in, pray, repent and study and, and do acts of kindness and pray for the redemption Literally, when we say Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai, we're saying that because we're saying truly blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Like Hashem, we receive your Mashiach, not the one that we choose, but the one that you have chosen. So I want to bring down just a few insights uh, from Benny B, Ladder of Jacob, also from Talmud. And just synthesizing these things together with the verses from the Besorah. The first verse is going to come from Mark chapter 11, verse 13. It says, seeing a fig tree far off having leaves, he came to see if perhaps he might find anything on it. When he came to it, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Again, that is Mark chapter 11, verse 13. So Benny B brings down that we must note that the cleansing of the temple that happens in there's a, a comment on it in Matthew 3, and then um, it's specifically Yochanan chapter 2, John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, the flipping the tables of the money changers and the, the whip and all that kind of stuff that's going on because people are selling in the temple <laughs> and making profit off of it as opposed to being a, a conduit of availability for people to purchase their their Corbin Corbin notes and things like that. So let me just read that. Read these verses. So it says the the Pesach in Judea was at hand. See, before I even get started, it's already important to note if you think about the timing that we're in right now on the Jewish calendar, it is approaching Pesach. We are now less than 20 three days away from Pesach. And here it is that the very point of what we're going through as a globe is all about, are you ready for the redemption? Do you even want it? Are you purifying yourself? Are you seeking me? Are you calling for me? Are you crying out for me? Are you done with exile? And this is all having to do with Pesach. 
which is all about redemption, redeeming us, literally the season of our freedom. But anyway, it says the Pesach in Judea was at hand and Yeshua went to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. Because, you know, no one's supposed to sit at the temple, right? But anyway, it says he made a whip of cords unless you're from the house of David. That's the only way you get to sit at the temple. So these money changers are proclaiming themselves to be from the house of David as a king. But anyway, it says he made a whip of cords and threw out all of the temple, both the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the changers money and overthrew their tables. Those who sold the doves, he said, take these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a marketplace. His Talmudim remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Yochanan chapter 2, John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It's important to note the text doesn't say that the Mashiach was angry. But these actions are usually shaded that these are done out of anger. And the confusion of be angry and do not sin and, and things like that. And how could the Messiah be zealous but not angry? And all of that takes place. But if you take it at face value, it's all about the standard. It's all about the balance that Mashiach set the the tone that this is not a place of market. This is a place of prayer. So do you really have to be angry when you're really establishing justice? You know, I think about a parent disciplining their child, you know, like literally um, spanking would be the technical term. Does a parent really have to be angry as they're spanking their child? Do you really have to be angry when you're correcting someone? So, you know, just to point that out with Mashiach. But this very episode is flanked on both sides in scripture or in the in the gospel account here. That there is a fig tree incident. Mashiach sees the figs here in Mark 11 temple cleansing happens and then afterwards we see back at that same fig tree that it's now withered one of the things that benny b brings down from barakot 40a he says that rabbi Meir holds that the tree of of, of which adam ate was the vine since the thing that most causes wailing to a man is wine, as it says, and he drank of the wine and was drunken. Rabbi Nehemiah says it was the fig tree so that they repaired their misdeed with the instrument of it, as it says, and they sewed fig leaves together. Barakot 40a. But... What Benny B brings down, he says, regardless of the identity of the fruit, fig leaves are a cover up for a degenerate spiritual condition. The context from Genesis is critical to understanding the incident of the fig tree. 
The temple leadership's corruption had brought Yisrael down a corrupt path which led to a low spiritual state. And then he quotes Yermiyahu 8, 10 through 13. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely, for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Shalom, Shalom, when there is no Shalom. Were they ashamed when they had done an abomination? No, they were not ashamed at all, nor could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down, says Adonai. I will utterly consume them, says Adonai. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the tree, and the leaf shall fade. And the things that I have given them, those who pass over them. That's from Yermiyahu, Jeremiah, chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. So it's interesting that the grapevine and fig leaves are literally side by side here in this passage. And from Barakot 48, there's a discussion back and forth whether it was a grapevine or uh, a fig. And other commentaries bring out other things like it was wheat, you know, like uh, insinuating like the hollow loaf and things like that. And obviously there's the classic apple, also pomegranate. But going back up here to the, the introduction that Benny B brings before he quotes all of this, he says that the fig tree is a key to understand the cleansing of the temple and the spiritual status of the first century Israel. Why did Yeshua curse the fig tree? Anti-missionaries and skeptics have attacked Yeshua's action as an unnecessary petty tantrum. On the other side of the coin, some Christian interpretations attempt to use the text for theological proof that Yeshua was canceling God's covenant. Cursing the nation or the temple. So that obviously is just kind of wow. But what I want to get at is actually the Talmud passage from Eruvin 54a through 54b, which says Rabbi Hiya Bar Abba said that Rabbi Yochanan said, What is the name or what is the meaning? Of that which is written, he who guards the fig tree shall eat its fruit. Proverbs twenty-seven eighteen. Why were matters of Torah compared to a fig tree? Just as this fig tree, whenever a person searches it for figs to eat, he finds figs in it. As the figs on a tree do not ripen all at once. Key phrase, they do not ripen all at once because the redemption happens like sunrise. It does not happen all at once. So just a little side note on that. I will uh, source that out in just a moment, but stand by. So the figs do not ripen all at once so that one can always find a recently ripened fig so, too, with matters of Torah, when a person meditates upon them, he finds in them a new meaning. 
So this is my encouragement is that let's give this opportunity the the opportunity that it's granting us, you know, like to to say, yes, Hashem, we do need you. We want you. We desire for all sickness and disease and just chaos and pandemonium to be taken away from the world and for you to bring the redemption the redemption that we have so long yearned for and not for our sake, but for the sake of the entire world, for the generations who've gone before us, who never got to see this time. May it be so, you know, to, to really cry out, Hashem, bring the redemption. Hashem, redeem us, set us free. Bring us back to Eretz Israel. Rebuild the temple, gather in the fullness of the nations. Because the only reason exile has been extended is because there's been a great, great forsaking of the Torah. There's been a great, great forsaking of the true wisdom of Hashem. And so, here we stand, those of us who are grabbing a hold of the Torah, the Zidzit of the Messiah, the that we have this opportunity to stand and to, in the midst of fear and, and um, insecurity, to stand steadfast and bold and hold up the torch of the Lapid and, and stand and say, this is our God and we will worship him. The light that brought forth creation. So really quick, I just want to do redemption uh, is like sunrise. I just want to give that source to make sure that I uh, broke a shim. Let's see here. The Shema with sunrise to juxtapose the blessing of redemption. There's a whole connection here that you do the uh, Shema and the blessing of who redeems Israel. You keep those two things together so that you say that as one uninterrupted prayer. But let's see here. I read this from somewhere. I just want to make sure I source it out. One moment. Here we go, the dawn of redemption. Uh, it's from Rabbi Hia. Okay. 
When Rabbi Hia the elder saw the slowly breaking dawn and said to Rabbi Shimon ben Halafta, Such is Israel's redemption. At first it comes slowly by slowly, and as it progresses, its light increases. He referred not only to the physical description of sunrise, but also to the light of the morning of redemption, illuminating the city of the Sanhedrin. That is to say, Rabbi Hia the Elder taught that Israel's redemption is not only national liberation, which comes immediately after the darkest time of night. It also has to illumine the Sanhedrin, its significance lies in its spiritual power. Israel's redemption comes about through seemingly natural means, like redemption, like the redemption from Persia, as recorded in the book of Esther, the process of redemption through which we are living in our generation has not yet had any open miracles. But human history of the last couple of centuries has been full of events, which only in retrospect with the benefit of historical hindsight turn out to fit in with God's design for Israel's redemption. So this was beautifully brought down um, from Yerushalayim Brakot 1-1 and Yoma 3-2. So that's our source, that the redemption is like sunrise. And so here it is that, you know, over the past few years, we've been increasing in our knowledge and understanding of Torah. More and more people have been uh, discovering the festivals, discovering the Shabbat, discovering Zitzit and Kashrut and uh, converting and, um, you know, getting back to you know, the Torah, the wisdom of Hashem and, and living like Mashiach and all of his Talmudim and understanding that that was not Christianity, it was Judaism. And today, the opportunity that we have to to really pray and ask God to reveal the redemption is just absolutely mind blowing. So I just wanted to speak a word of encouragement to everyone to continue to pray and to yearn as we stay focused, do our due diligence and everything for, you know, um, for our daily task and all of our to do lists and, and working and uh, taking care of our homes and things like that. But this is a this is an opportunity for us to have redemption in a sweetened way where it doesn't have to be a mass scale destruction this is this is heavy enough and should we not hearken to this it can get a whole lot worse so cosplay shalom that it does and kenya hirat zone that we all work together to bring the redemption whatever it is within our power to do if you can speak words of torah pray words of torah be words of torah in your workplace and and your to uh, goings to and from and um, doing all you can as you refine yourself and your thoughts uh, before Hashem. 
because that's equally important. The things that you dwell on make very, very big waves within creation. And the thing is, is that we cannot see it. But when those things accumulate to a certain extent, we can see the results. This is why if you're a person who's diligent in your studies, over time, you'll be able to look back and see where you are now. And then you'll find out, oh, my goodness, like I've learned so much. And, you know, I have this ability to grasp and comprehend that I didn't ever think I would ever have much less that which I had before. So what are we thinking about? What are we dwelling on? What are we praying about? What are we yearning for? May it be for the final redemption. And again, we have to prepare ourselves, you know, whether or not Mashiach comes. The beautiful thing is we will wait. And the way the best way to wait is to, again, pray and and study and bring about God's kingdom upon the earth, making this world a dwelling place for him. You know, and um, seeing with the eyes of Mashiach, all of our co-workers and our families, you know, um, and I say co-workers first because typically if you're working a 40 hour a week, you know, you uh, a full time schedule that you normally spend more time with co-workers than you do with your family. That doesn't make your family second to your job, but that, you know you'll have apparently more, uh, what is it, I guess, more significance uh, with uh, retelling your weeks by, you know, things that happen at work as opposed to, oh, yeah, I was at home and I was relaxing or doing chores or things like that. But you'll, what, what events have occurred. And so it's, also easier to treat our coworkers better than our family members sometimes. And it's like, you know, and obviously that means we got work to do, you know, because we shouldn't treat our family, you know, less than how we treat our coworkers. Give our family more grace than we give to those who are strangers and acquaintances to us. And the more we do that, the more we literally make this world a habitation for Hashem. And that's really the final phase of the redemption is bringing all the heavenlies and all this high knowledge and uh, Kedusha down into the mundane. So and how you dress and how you do your chores and how you greet and say goodbye to your family members you know, and things like that. And so, Rukashim. But anyway, just, I mean, that we, that we expect and that we wait and anticipate and celebrate as we approach Pesach, continuing to grow in our understanding. And let's give some, some figs on this tree as Hakadosh Baruchu is inspecting it. Is the world ready for redemption? Does anybody want redemption? Or does everybody just want to get back to normal being in exile and not thinking about, you know, the return of the king and the renewal of all mankind? Amen. Amen.
Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah.